Hello brothers, this is Didact and we are back with the Didactic Mind podcast, episode 110, Gods and Demons. A very warm welcome as always to all of my long-time readers from the site, my long-time listeners from the podcast itself. If you, of course, have not subscribed to the podcast on Podbean or the site at Didactic Mind, Please make sure you do so, and uh, make sure as well, if you have Telegram, I highly recommend using it. It's pretty much the only form of social media that I really use on a regular basis. Uh, the Telegram channel allows you, it's a private channel, so you know it's not publicly searchable or anything, and it's by invitation link only. Uh, but you get to interact with me directly, you get to see all of the news stories that I forward, which are you know, a couple of, well, probably... Eight, somewhere between 80 and 200 a day. Um, so it's kind of like a news aggregator as well as I provide my own opinions and ideas in that, um, in that channel. And you get kind of a running commentary on what's happening around the world. It's a great place for geopolitics. It's also just a great place to interact with a fun community. We have a really cool bunch of guys there. A couple of ladies, I think, but they lurk. They don't really say anything. I think I've, in the entire almost year, that the channel has been up and running. I think we've had two comments from women the entire time. So it's obviously very much a, a male-only space, and that's that's kind of the way we like it, to be honest. Um, I'm not saying women aren't welcome, they are, but it's just a very male-dominated space, and that's fine. A uh, number of the readers from the site have congregated there, and they uh, they, they do comment frequently we have some great conversations, very collegial, very warm, very welcoming, and just a good place to bat around some, some dank memes and some stupid nonsense and fun ideas. Uh, won't go into any commercial uh, stuff today. If you, you know, just take a look through the, through the description box, see what you like, but I'll leave it at that because it is, of course, the glorious day of our Lord's resurrection. Christ is risen. It is a very, very happy Easter. I wish all of you listening a very peaceful and prosperous uh, Easter and a reflective one as well, because this is, of course, the, the mighty day of our Lord's resurrection for our Jewish brothers uh, or Jewish com- comrades, I should say. <clears throat> um, all I can say to you is very, uh, you know, what's, what's the phrase in Hebrew? Chag Sameach Pesach. Uh, and to our Orthodox brothers, both Greek and Russian Orthodox, Christos uh, Voskresia, although technically that's for next week. So, you know, it remains to be seen whether I'll do a podcast then, depends on whether anything has changed or I have the motivation to do a, a podcast, we'll see. But for the time being, again, may I wish all of my readers and listeners a very, very happy Easter, and to all of your families, to all of your loved ones, uh, I hope you are well. I, I wish you all the best. I wish you good fortune and the Lord's blessings be upon you. Uh, it's going to be a very, very difficult time ahead, and it's important <clears throat> to keep things in perspective and in mind that as difficult as things are going to get, there is a plan behind all of it. There is an intelligence working through us and for us and with us to achieve a particular end. And that greater power is 
something that cannot be resisted and, and really should not be. We can get with the program, which God wants us to follow, or we can try to struggle against it and we just make our own lives harder. But in the process of getting with the program, we tend to have to make some very painful adjustments to ourselves and to our lives, which frankly not everyone is ready to do. And it's important for us to be ready and willing to accept the price that comes with these things. Nonetheless, the gifts of the Lord are tremendous. They are wonderful. The Lord's generosity is boundless. And this of all days demonstrates exactly the true power of the Lord and everything that he does. So rejoice, brothers. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And <clears throat> let us never forget that. Let us never forget the power of that promise and the, the infinite value of the gift freely given to us from the Lord our Father. Today, I want to talk about something which I've been alluding to many times in my writings and my voice messages on my Telegram channel. And <clears throat> of late, I've been, excuse me, I'll, uh, if my voice is a little scratchy, you'll have to excuse me one moment. Um, I've been alluding to this a number of times on my Telegram channel and other posts. And I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things I've been reading and seeing and looking at about the spirit realm, about the demonic realm in particular. Now, this isn't going to be one of those creepy ghost story type of uh, podcasts. Uh, my intention today is to talk at some length combining the testimonies of various Catholic priests and a couple of other exorcists and um, uh, Dr. Gallagher, Richard Gallagher as well, uh, who, whose interview I watched, um, into kind of a coherent narrative weaved through with the late, great, dearly missed Dr. Michael Heiser's work on the subject of the unseen realm. And I want to um, paint a picture for you that I've seen emerging over the last uh, couple of months now. So just out of you know, by chance, I happen to stumble. I mean, I've been listening to uh, podcasts or uh, YouTube videos featuring Father Vince Lampert, who is one of the Catholic Church's ex. Well, he's the exorcist of the Archdiocese of Indiana, Indianapolis, I think, um, who works directly for the Bishop of Indianapolis and. Uh, he confines his activities to that diocese, but he works as an official exorcist of the Catholic Church. And so, based on kind of some of the stuff that I had uh, seen and heard from his testimonies about his work, uh, I started listening to some of the podcasts and interviews of uh, Father Chad Ripperger. And it was absolutely fascinating. Father Chad Ripperger is a really interesting character. He's, I mean, he's uh, very, very experienced. He's very uh, personable, very well-spoken, articulate. He is very polished in his delivery. Father Vince Lampert is much more reserved and kind of quiet and he's just soft-spoken. He's a nice guy. He's a very, very 
relaxed, mellow sort of person. But Father Chad Ripperger is really interesting. He's good friends, apparently, with none other than El Huapo, Bas Gluten himself, the, one of the most feared mixed martial artists of all time. Now, I was walking along today, uh, I, was out for a, I was going to church uh, to celebrate Mass. I'm not a Catholic. I, I want to make that very clear. I, I, I don't agree with the Catholics on a number of things, and you're going to hear that in this podcast. But I was on my way to a Catholic church, and I was listening to Bas Rutten telling the story about how he, he basically single-handedly took on three fake Navy SEALs in Ropongi in Tokyo uh, a long time ago. And these guys, you know, they, they walked in and they were just like, they were swaggering, they were throwing Japanese people around out of the way. And they wanted to pick a fight with, like... <laughs> Bas Rutten's in the bar with Guy Metzger and Frank Shamrock and all these other like absolute stone-cold killers from the Pancrase organization, right? So (laughs) Bas basically looks at these guys and he says, okay, let's go outside. (laughs) It's three against one. He, he, He knocks the snot out of the first two guys and the third guy comes at him and Bas says, Bas says to the other guys, and you know, Guy Metzger says to these people who come in, uh, you really sure you want to pick up a fight with this guy? I mean, he's like, we're all trained MMA fighters. And like, yeah, so we don't care. And they, they, they all point to Bas and they say, well, you, you want to come out and take us on? And it's like, well, and Guy Metzger says to them, remember, this is Guy Metzger. Go look him up if you don't know MMA. And Guy Metzger says to them, of the of everybody here, you really, really, the, that guy, Bas, is the one you really don't want to mess with. But anyway, they, they go outside and uh, start fighting and Bas just knocks the crap out of those two guys. The third one, he, want, he, he turns around and he says to his MMA buddies, okay, I'm going to submit this guy. And he puts him in a, uh, an arm bar first and the guy taps and, and then he, Bas lets the submission go. And the guy charges him, immediately attacks him again. And the boss is like, all right, fine. And it puts him in a knee bar, is really hyperextending the knee joint. If you've ever been in a knee bar, it's a miserable position. It's a horrible. Um, and uh, it's, you, you really feel tremendous pain uh, from, from the knee itself. Uh, the, worst, the worst thing you can have, though, is the ankle lock, which basically twists your knee and your ankle in separate, in opposite directions. And if you, I mean, you can, you can cripple someone for life. If, if you uh, don't let up in time. But anyway, uh, this guy, this, this idiot, you know, he, gets, he goes into a submission hold and he taps. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. And then he attacks Boss again. So at this point, Boss is just like, all right, screw it. He puts the guy into a, a, a choke hold, I think a rear naked choke. Uh, sleeps the guy in about eight seconds because that's about how long it takes to just pass out. And Boss and his buddies, just pull the guy's pants down in public and leave him there. That's the kind of person Father Chad Ripperger hangs out with. So that's pretty cool. I mean, that's a great story. And Bas Rutten himself is a devout Catholic, as is Kevin James, his friend in Hollywood. Yeah, go look, look look these guys up. They're very interesting. Uh, anyway, go, go check it out on YouTube. But Father Chad Ripperger is a very, very experienced Catholic exorcist. And he talks a lot on uh, Chad Stefanik's show. There's a long series of interviews that he's done with Chad Stefanik. And there's another long, like, hour and 45-minute lecture that he's done at 
some event where he talked about the demonic realm. And so I just went from one video to the next and I listened to Father Chad talking about his experiences. And he said something which really stuck in my mind. It's the, the seed that grew into this specific podcast, which is that the demons he beats up and he throws out of people are all kind of saying the same thing. Of late, they're all saying we can feel something coming. They can feel their power being circumscribed and um, limited. They can feel that their time is coming. That God is only going to permit them to continue to do mischief and inflict misery on humanity for so much longer. And then he's going to pull the plug. And when God pulls the plug, he really pulls the plug. Anyone who's read Genesis chapter 6 knows what I'm talking about. Anyone who's read uh, Genesis, um, I think it's, don't quote me on this, I think it's chapter 10. But yeah, I mean, basically, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, when God says, that's it, I'm done, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. You know, hellfire, damnation, rains down, um, floods and pestilence and terrible, horrible things happen. Um, that's when God said, that's when God says, that's it. I'm done tolerating humanity's stupidity. This ends now. Um, and Father Chad talks about this feeling among these evil spirits that something big is coming. And that's what I want to explore a bit. And I want, I want to tie it into what we're seeing around us in the modern world. But to understand this, we first have to understand where demons come from. And in, in all of what I'm going to say, I'm going to be tying together the teachings of the Catholic Church, some of which I agree with and some of which I don't, and the much more close, scripturally accurate readings that Dr. Mike Heiser has done in the unseen realm, in angels, in demons, and in supernatural, his four books. Well, he's, I think he's written more than that, but those are the four that I know of, and I've read two of them, the unseen realm and, and demons. Um, so, as Father Chad, as Father Vince, as Father Dan Rehill all talk about, you know, these are all very experienced exorcists, they all talk about uh, the teachings of the Catholic Church, which say that in the Great Rebellion, during the fall, basically, the, the first fall, a third of the angels fell with Lucifer, with uh, the morning star, into the abyss. Now, the interesting thing is there's no scriptural support for that. There isn't. Um, Revelation says, the book of Revelation very clearly says, uh, a third, the, the, you know, there was a war in heaven and basically the dragon swept down, you know, a third of the stars were knocked down to earth. That does not mean that one third of the angelic choir fell to earth or, you know, were, were cast out of heaven. That's, that's not the same thing. If you actually read the text, that's not what it says. And this is, again, where I think the Catholic Church reads yet again too deeply into um, or beyond what the text allows. Uh, what it says in Revelation chapter 12 is, you know, from verse 7 onwards. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. 
And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then it goes, um, uh, you know, it goes on a bit, um, but basically, you know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really say that a third of the stars were swept down as well. That's not the case. Um, what it says is uh, the, the angels that fell with Lucifer, with, with Satan. Okay, so clearly some of the demons that exist in hell are indeed fallen angels. That's true. That's absolutely the case. But it is not... Yeah, uh, here it is actually in, uh, again, Revelation chapter 12. It's actually earlier on, uh, verse 4. Uh, this is about the, the, the great dragon. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. You can interpret that to mean angels, but that's not made explicit in the text. And it's not correct to read into the text more than is there. And this is where Dr. Michael Heiser comes in. And he points out that a second temple understanding of Genesis and tied back to Revelation and all of the texts in between indicate very clearly demons are by and large actually uh, the disembodied souls of the Nephilim. And you have to go read Genesis chapter 6, 1 to 4 to understand this. Uh, the Nephilim are essentially the offspring, the unholy offspring of a, a forbidden union between the sons of God, which is to say angelic beings who rebelled against God's authority, and earthly women. Now, if you take that position, then the question becomes how many angels are there and how many demons are there by by corollary. Now, Father Chad has an interesting uh, explanation for this because he wrote a book. He's written uh, actually several books, but he wrote one book about the spirit realm from uh, for the layperson and another one for the priesthood. And we can't access the book for the priesthood. That's, that's not, you know, and, and nor should we. But for the laity, the, the book talks about uh, the psychology of demons from a Thomistic perspective, as he says, meaning from the perspective of St. Thomas of Aquinas, that, that same sort of logical fusion of Aristotelian logic with Christian moral teaching. And what St. Thomas's approach says with respect to the psychology of demons is absolutely fascinating. Father Chad talks about it this way. When God created everything, he created the choirs of angels and he created billions upon billions, potentially trillions of angels. This is the teaching of the Catholic Church. Every single one of us, every single human who's ever existed, according to the Catholic Church, has a guardian angel. This I do not dispute. I actually believe this very strongly. I think all of us do have guardian angels that look after us. So each of us has a guardian angel. Uh, which means that the number of angels in heaven is in the uncounted billions. And certainly some of those angels fell with Satan, with Lucifer, down into the underworld. That's true. 
Where things get interesting is that it wasn't one-third of the angelic choir, as I pointed out. It's, you have these, these spirits of Nephilim running around. But when you look at what the Nephilim were, they were the great men of old, the men of renown, right? That ties into legends of gods and demigods in other cultures, right? So you're talking about the Greek pantheon, the Roman pantheon, which is kind of a translation of the same thing the Near Eastern or the Middle Eastern pantheons of gods, uh, the Indian pantheon of gods, the Middle Eastern ones, uh, I don't know, sorry, not, uh, Far Eastern ones. And then there are the, there's the, the whole issue of the watchers, you know, the, these supernatural beings that determine the courses of entire nations. And there is the concept of the three separate rebellions, right? So when... Satan and his angels rebelled. When Lucifer rebelled, it was after the creation event. It was after the six days of creation, but before the fall of man, obviously, because Lucifer took the form, or the deceiver took the form of the serpent, deceived Eve, and therefore deceived Adam, and, you know, etc., etc., etc. So that was the first divine rebellion. That was... Lucifer and his cohort falling down to earth. Then there was the rebellion of mankind. Then there was the rebellion at Babel, uh, the, tower of, the Tower of Babel itself, where God broke earth into nations and established uh, the watchers over them. And this is where it gets really, really fascinating. Because as Father Chad points out, these angels who fell had a very specific purpose. And the reason why they are damned and condemned for all time is really specific. When, when God created man, he created us without the ability... To, well, he created us with the ability to learn and to know things through experiential learning, through seeing and feeling and touching and sensing, tasting, uh, hearing, all of our senses, right? That's how we gain knowledge. So if we want to learn what a dog is, as Father Chad uses this as the example, we see enough dogs and we understand what a dog in general is. It's four-footed, it's got hair, uh, it barks a lot, it's fluffy, it's loyal, it's kind, it's charming. This, by the way, is why I don't think chihuahuas are dogs. As far as I'm concerned, they're just mutated rats. Um, as opposed to a wolf, which actually, I mean, genetically speaking, is very similar to a dog, but obviously has a number of different characteristics. So we learn these things through knowledge passed on to us. We also learn it through experiencing the world around us. And so we don't, we are not born with complete knowledge of who we are, what we are, what is our purpose. We have to find this out, right? That's the whole purpose of our existence is to find out what it is we are supposed to do with our lives. And that's a lifelong quest. It's, it's very difficult for us to do as human beings. Most of us don't, quite frankly, end up understanding what it is we're supposed to do. We drift aimlessly through our lives. Angels don't have that problem. Angels are not physical beings. 
they are beings of pure spirit. As Father Chad points out, an angel, when God creates an angel, he creates that angel with complete knowledge of its existence, its purpose, its destiny, and yet gives it free will. Just as we have free will, angels have free will. And they know from beginning to end what their purpose is. They understand exactly what, you know, they know everything they need to know to accomplish that purpose. And when I say they need to know, well, when Father Chad says it, he says he uses the example of a tree. If an angel looks at a tree, he immediately knows exactly what a tree is. He knows and understands, well, when I say he, it, angels don't have genders. Um, it knows exactly what a tree is. It knows what makes up a tree. It, it, un, it can tell you chapter and verse how you classify a tree, what a tree's DNA is, what, you know, everything you could possibly want to know and understand about a tree, the angel knows all of it. And by that same token, the angel knows and understands completely what its purpose is and what it's meant to do, what its assigned task is. And crucially, God gives it free will to choose whether it wants to do that task or not. And if it refuses, that angel is cast out of heaven and ends up being a demon. So when the demons fell from heaven, they did so in an act of perfect self-hatred because they knew and understood that if they accepted their task, they would have the beatific vision of God, of heaven, of life everlasting, worshiping God, glorifying his name, and existing as one with him in this most sacred of places. That's an amazing thing. They rejected that outright and were instantly condemned for it for all time. This is the key difference between them and us. We are stupid, as Father Chad points out. He's right, we are. We're really actually quite stupid. It's because we don't have knowledge of everything, of all the consequences, of all the things that might result from our rejection of God and of His law that we are granted a considerable amount of grace. God gives us tremendous leeway. And you just have to look around and see the immense gifts and the generosity of God, the, the overwhelming amounts of, of, of beauty and wonder that He surrounds us with, the, the sheer goodness of everything He gives us to understand just how generous God is. When you see that, and you understand God's sheer power and his sheer wonder and his love for us, then you understand how severe his judgment actually is on those beings that reject him. As Romans 1 says, if we reject natural law, you know, the, the God has established his law through the things which are seen and which are unseen in the world, uh, if we reject the law that he has imprinted upon each of us and in the world around us, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing scripture very, very loosely, I admit. 
we are without excuse. So we don't get the excuse of saying, oh, I didn't know. No, you can only get away with that up to a point. The natural law, which St. Thomas Aquinas derives without ever once looking at Scripture, um, allows us to get back to the Ten Commandments, basically, without ever having to resort to God in the process, other than as the creator of everything around us. So when we, when we reject that and we reject God consciously, if we do so without full knowledge, there is a degree of mercy offered to us. But if we reject it with full knowledge, there is no mercy. And that's where the demons come in. The demons that inhabit hell are the most tormented of souls because they act in a manner of perfect self-hatred, perfect hatred for God. They act illogically. They can't stand us as humans. They, they, they are absolutely horrified by the idea that we will sit in judgment over them, which we will as Christians. We will, that's the promise, sit in judgment over the angels. We will take the place in heaven, in the angelic choirs, of those beings that rejected that place. And we will judge them at, you know, uh, during the end times. So that is a remarkable thing. I mean, it, like, it blows your mind when you think about these things. And Christianity has all of these layers and all this depth that you just don't get with other faiths. Um, once you start unpacking it, you realize very quickly how astonishing it really is. Now, again, I don't agree with the Catholic Church on a number of its teachings. I think it's wrong and has read too, deep, too beyond Scripture in a number of places, particularly when it comes to these, these areas. But I think they're absolutely right on certain specific aspects. As these exorcists point out repeatedly, uh, many of the creatures that, or many of the beings that people worship as gods are not gods. They're demons. You must avoid talking to these, these, these things at all costs. Most of the pantheons of deities that exist are not to be trifled with. These are spiritual beings that have serious power and you must not interact with them. You must not consult mediums, you must not consult witches, especially not necromancers, not tarot card readers, nothing like that. Talking to these people is a realm into the demonic. Uh, it, sorry, is an entrance into the realm of the demonic. Do not get involved with these people. The Bible, you know, the, um, the, the Levitical laws do not make these points idly. It's not just because Moses wanted to be a buzzkill. No, it's not like that. These were very clear restrictions put in place to stop the unseen realm from entering into our realm. And they are there, those safeguards are there for a very, very good reason. Now, the Catholic Church recognizes three levels of influence. Um, obsession, oppression, and possession. And the last one is the one that gets all the attention because that's the one that's the, the scariest and the, the most creepy and the most terrifying, and it is. But it's also very rare. The, 
the thing to understand is that if you, well, when it happens, and it has happened, I have no doubt about that, when it happens, it is an attempt, well, it, it is, it's something that the, the, the creatures involved don't like. They don't like having to enter into our realm and deal with humans. They really don't like us. They, they really, really do not like us. But they will use us um, to act out their perfect self-hatred and their hatred of God. The thing to understand and keep in mind at all times is that these afflictions, which are terrible, are they exist according to God's grace. And that's like the hardest thing imaginable to understand. It's a very, very difficult thing to comprehend. Because you're like, well, how could God permit this level of suffering? Well, the answer is, He permits it to sanctify people, to raise them up spiritually, to make them more holy, to make them more, to make them better, to make them more spiritually clean. And that's exactly what he does in the process. I mean, all you have to do is look at uh, the book of Job. What happens there? You know, Ha Satan, the adversary, the adversary. And this is where it gets interesting. As Dr. Heiser points out, um, in the Hebrew, Ha Satan is, it's, there's a, it's, it's a proper noun. It's not, um, Hebrew has, has proper nouns. And it's, in, in the Hebrew Bible, it's like, it's a job description, particularly in the book of Job. It's not like, you know, Lucifer just wanders in one day and sits with the counsel of, of God. No, it doesn't work like that. There is an adversary whose job it is to go out there and push people. Um, and it's his actual role to kind of act out God's will. And he walks in and, and God's basically sitting with his divine counsel. And it's very important to understand there is a divine counsel. And so it's not just the big fella upstairs. It's a bunch of spirits that sit around him. Angels, angelic beings of immense power who sit around him and advise him and offer opinions. And it's, you know, it's not just in this instance. I mean, there are other instances like uh, with, um, I think it's with uh, the death of Ahab. Uh, it comes up as well in the Bible, uh, where Ahab is deceived by an angel of the Lord. An, an, a spirit of the Lord comes down and deceives him and leads him to his death. Uh, God's not doing that out of spite. He's doing that because Ahab is a terrible, terrible, terrible king. And he has allowed himself to be ruled over by his wife Jezebel. Um, and has given over you know, his kingdom to whoring after foreign gods and so on and so forth. Horrible stuff. Um, so in the book of Job, you know, Ha Satan comes over and talks to God and, and, and God says, look over at Job. Look what a, a righteous and loyal man he is. Look at how much he praises me and worships me. And the adversary comes in and he says, yeah, but the only reason he's doing that is because you've given him so much. Take away everything from him and watch how he curses you. And God says to him, Okay, prove it. He says, basically he says, put up or shut up. But really interestingly, God says in the book of Job, 
you may do whatever you, you know, you lift up your hand against Job, only you shall not kill him. You can do anything else you want to him, but you will not kill him. And the adversary goes down and you know, like kills off Job's entire family and destroys his fortune and destroys his houses and takes away everything he has, but he can't kill Job. And that is a very powerful clue into how God circumscribes the actions of these other creatures. The exorcists are adamant on this subject, and I agree, I mean, from, well, okay. It's not for me to say whether I agree or not, that's a mistake, excuse me. They are much more knowledgeable in this area than I am, obviously. I, I think it's a fascinating point they raise, let's put it that way, that the actions of these creatures are totally restricted by God's commands. God tells them how far they can go. And it is only through God and through the power of God that they can be expelled. Now, obviously, the person in the midst of all this has to sanctify himself or herself, has to become more holy, must clean out his spiritual life, go to Mass, go to confession, pray, read Scripture, um, recite specific prayers, uh, sin no more, make vows of chastity or uh, temperance or whatever, must reform his or her life and in the process reflects the glory of God. And that's the beauty of it. You know, as horrible as these things are, these people reflect the glory of our Lord. They reflect the power and the grace of Jesus Christ himself. And that is an amazing thing when you think about it. It's a profound mystery. So, why am I going on and on about all of this stuff related to some very unpleasant things? Let's be, let's be honest. I'm saying it because there is an unmistakable, undeniable rise in demonic activity around us, especially if you live in the West. All you have to do is look at what things, what is going on in the culture today in the West. Look at the rise of transgenderism. If you look at um, the ancient occult god or creature, Baphomet, how is Baphomet depicted? Goat's head, yes. Goat's feet, yes. Woman's breasts, man's genitalia. That is very clearly a, an indication of something very seriously wrong. Guess what a lot of these drag queen story hours involve? Men dressing up looking a lot like Baphomet pretending to be women. They, I mean, it's, it's profoundly evil in every, pos in every possible way. And they're trying to suck children into that cult of worshipping foreign gods, whoring after foreign gods, that do very, very evil things. Whether you're looking at Mephisto or Dagon or Baal or Baal or uh, Mammon or, you know, Astareth or whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, don't look into these entities. You know, I don't. I, I just know these off the top of my head from like topical research. Do not spend your life looking at the occult. You will lose your mind and then you will lose your soul. Stick to 
the power of Scripture, because it describes all of this stuff. And it points out why certain races and certain nations have to be wiped clean off the face of the earth, because they gave themselves up to whoring after these gods, which are actually, you know, evil spirits in disguise. Uh, Father Chad Ripiker talks about Loki, you know, as actually um, one of these creatures. Fascinating stuff. I mean, he basically talks about how Loki was supposed to do such and such and walked away from it and said, I'm not going to do that. And as such is, is a, a very nasty character now. Uh, Father Chad talks about the many times he's, he has cast out, the several times that he's cast out the big, the head honcho himself of, of, of the unholy host. And he talks about, you know, how that creature's uh, personality was basically shattered into three pieces by the Lord because God saw the morning star trying to emulate the Trinity and said, no, that's, you know, if you're going to try that, I'm going to punish you. And that's exactly what he did. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating stuff and it relates, it ties back directly to what we're seeing today. The thing is, the demons didn't know what the plan was 2,000 years ago when our Lord walked the earth. They didn't quite know what the plan was. But the moment that Jesus started doing those miracles in Galilee and elsewhere, they knew something was up. They, they were looking at Jesus going, wait a second, there's, there's, something, there's something off about this guy. He's, he's not acting like a typical human being. And then they thought, you know, let's try to tempt him. And he refused the temptation. Wait, what? How is he able to do that? They saw him perform miracles. They saw him walk up to uh, possessed men and just throw out demons with almost no effort. The, uh, the, the Gerasene demoniac. Jesus walks up to him and casts out the demons. And they, they say, we are legion. And they give us permission to enter into the herd of pigs that is nearby. Well, he, he, they, they enter into like a couple of thousand pigs, which then rush into a lake and drown. Now think about what that story says. Jesus, our Lord, walks up to a man possessed by these scores and scores and scores, hundreds, thousands of evil spirits, thousands of them, and with a couple of words, cast them out. But then remember, they can't leave without his permission. They can't go anywhere without his permission. And he gives them permission and they go into a herd of pigs and then they, the pigs drown. And then right at the end of that story, Father Vince Lampert talks about this a lot, how most people miss the true import of that story. The Gerasene man says to Jesus, I will follow you. And Jesus says, no, go back to your family. And that's the key thing. The, the beauty of that story is in the way that Jesus addresses the, the source of so many of our problems, so much of the evil in this world, the destruction of the family unit and everything that entails, the, the alienation from one's family and how that leads to unholiness. 
Well, that's exactly what we're seeing today in Western civilization. That's exactly what people are trying to do. Destroy the family unit and thereby make us all more susceptible to these alien pressures that will destroy our minds and destroy our souls. Now, keep in mind what Father Chad said in his lecture, that these entities know their time is coming. They know their time is up. They've known their time is up for a long time. I mean, since Jesus walked the earth. They, since, especially since today, 2,000 some years, well, a little under 2,000 years ago, the big JC got up out of his tomb, rose from the dead, and showed up and met his disciples. And it's the greatest miracle ever recorded. And 500 people saw the risen Christ walking on this earth. Think about what that meant for the demons. They were like, uh-oh, this means our time is coming to an end. They don't know exactly when. As Christ himself said, nobody knows the time or the hour. Only the Father knows. But they know it's coming. And they know something big is coming soon. So what does that mean for us here on earth? It means we need to get our robes clean. It means we need to focus now more than ever on God and what He wants. And that's the point of Easter. It's to remind us of the promise that Christ made to us, that He fulfilled of all the scriptural prophecies that He fulfilled Himself, and of the power of His Word to compel the nether realm to do His bidding. It is only, as, as these exorcists will say repeatedly, they have no power on their own. None. The only power that they have is through Jesus himself. And his very name is a cudgel. It's a weapon of immense force and strength against these creatures. They can't stand against it. They can't stand him. Now, that's not to say that every such case is quick and easy. It's not. I mean, Father Vince, Father uh, Chad... Father Dan, they all talk about these long-running cases, which are very, very difficult. Uh, they can take years to clean out a person's soul. And ultimately, it is God who determines exactly when things will end. You know, that's it. The, the purpose served by this horrible affliction has been achieved. That's it. You know, the squatters clear out, get out get lost, go away. And then it's up to that person to remain holy and sanctified. Because as Jesus says, uh, when an unclean spirit is cast out of a person, uh, he, wanders the waterless, he wanders through the waterless places of the world. And then he comes back and he finds the room that he left clean and tidy and orderly. And he goes and he finds seven spirits worse than himself and comes back in and the state of the person is worse than it was before. That's the thing we have to guard against. So when we sin, and we all sin, every single day we sin, we need to be upfront about it. We need to talk to God about it. We need to have that personal relationship with Him. We need to have that relationship with Jesus. We need to make sure we're on the same page as Jesus Himself. We need to make sure we're talking to Him directly, confessing our sins to Him, 
and asking him for forgiveness. Because as he said so many times in the Bible, ask in my name, ask the Father in my name, and it will be done. Ask the Father, if you ask him in my name, I will make sure he does it. Because I am the, he says, I am the intercessor. Now, this again is where I, I strongly disagree with the Catholic Church. They will maintain, well, the Virgin Mary is the intercessor between Jesus, and Jesus is the intercessor with the Father. I'm like, well, really? Like, really? Where's the evidence of that in the Bible? Oh, John chapter 2. Um, no. John chapter 2 simply says, uh, the, the Virgin Mary, who, by the way, did not stay a virgin the rest of her life, Jesus had brothers, James in particular. So, clearly, there was uh, some... Uh, well, we won't go there, but, you know, like, come on. I mean, you all can figure it out, right? Um, let's just say that, again, stuff happened. But um, Jesus plainly was not an only child. Uh, he was the only begotten Son of God. Yes, fine. So, in John chapter 2, obviously... Mary asks Jesus, you know, uh, well, he, she, she basically says to him, uh, son, they have no wine. And he says, woman, what is this to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And it's a very strange sort of address. I mean, woman, really? That's, that's his mother. Um, and she just says to the servants, uh, do whatever this man, do whatever he tells you to do, not this man. Do whatever he tells you to do. And that's it. Like, intercession, where's the intercession? There is, no record, there is no record of real intercession where Mary says, Son, do this. And Jesus sort of meekly complies. And I'm like, what? No. Um, there's an episode in, I think, the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is preaching in, in the temple and his parents go away and then they look around and they're like, Where's our kid? Where'd he go? And they're like, Well, oh, damn, he's still stuck in Jerusalem teaching in the temple. So they go all the way back to Jerusalem. And Mary says to Jesus, Son, what, why'd you put us through this? Why'd you, you know, we, we've been worried sick. Where have you been? And she, and, and, you know, the big fella just says, uh, this is my task and this is what I'm going to do. And this is, this is my flock and I'm going to shepherd to them. Yeah, obviously, mangling the words of scripture rather horribly. I apologize, but that's kind of what he says. And Mary sees these things and treasures them up in her heart. There's no evidence whatsoever of any kind of intercession. Anyway, um, that's it's a theological debate that goes back to the Reformation. So, uh, all I will say is that I think you know tradcaths have a lot going for them. Tradcaths have a lot uh, of good stuff in their repertoire, but I think they go seriously wrong in obeying tradition over scripture. But you know, anyway, back to this issue of the modern day. As I said before, we are coming very quickly to an inflection point. It, I mean, I think we're there already, actually, where the sins and the brokenness of the Western world have gotten to the point where God has basically said, that's it, I'm done. And he is now um, bringing forth nations that whether they respect God or not, at least respect the natural law that God instituted. Whether they, 
acknowledge the sovereignty and kingship of Yahweh, the one who is, you know, the, the, the creator God, the, the true God of the universe. That's a different story. But at least they aren't completely batshit insane. And that is why God honors these nations and gives them strength and glory. Whereas the nations that have turned our backs on him and have embraced every form of filth and perversion are in for a very, very rough ride. And that is what you see playing out around us. You see this tremendous rise in evil doing, in very, very nefarious activity. It's very nasty. I mean, the trans movement is but one manifestation of it. You see all of this evil coming forth. And why is it there? It's there to maximize collateral damage. That's really why it's there. The demons know they can't win. They've lost, they lost the war 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked out of that tomb. They know their time is coming. So what they're trying to do is, in essence, mislead as many people as possible in as many ways as possible to confound and derange their senses and their understanding of what is right and what is wrong. They are trying really hard to stop us from calling that which is sinful by its name. And they are trying to get us to believe that God doesn't exist, that Jesus was just a man. Well, that's not true. They are hiding in plain sight. I mean, it's obvious. It's really obvious they're out there. When, when, a man, when, a, when a mentally ill man dresses up as a Middle Eastern blasphemous occult, you know, basically demon with horns on his head, pretending to be a woman and reads stories to kids, you know, that's not a metaphor. <laughs> it's like, that's not, that's, that's not new. That's not, it's not, it's not pretend. It's not playing around. That's actually him trying to do something demonic to your children. So don't sit around and just accept it. Do something about it. You know, get your kids out of that situation. Get yourself out of that situation. Get back with God. Get back with that which matters. So when we see these horrible things, when we see the the rise of, of the, the trans movement, which has so completely deranged so many minds. Keep in mind, it's there for a reason. It's happening for a reason. Keep in mind that when we see these politicians who seem so profoundly evil, I mean, you want to see a demon in human form, just look at Hillary Clinton. Oh my good Lord, she's terrifying. You know, you want to see a demon manifest in human form. Look at Hillary Clinton or look at Victoria Newland. These people are profoundly evil. And the way they behave is profoundly evil. They're not even trying to hide it. Just look at the way Newland smiles. Uh, it's like, whoa, okay, that is scary. She, she genuinely looks terrifying. Um, look at... Um, what was it? Uh, there's another example I had in, in mind, which, oh, of course, I've completely forgotten. 
damn it. Uh, but anyway, the, the point is, these things are happening in plain sight. You, you no longer have an excuse. It's no longer possible to just say, well, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't affect me. I don't see it. I see no, we don't see it. Therefore, it doesn't exist. No, no, no. dude, it exists. And get with the program. Figure it out. Jesus did not die on the cross and then come back to life on the third day simply so that you could ignore the very obvious warning signs. So get with the program and understand that this is all happening for a reason. That these entities we call gods, uh, you know, small g, gods, are actually spirit beings of tremendous power which have rejected their specific purpose for which they were designed, that they are trying to pull you in to maximize spiritual damage to you, and that the way out is Jesus. It's not Kali, it's not Loki, it's not Zeus, it's not, you know, Mephisto, it's not any of these creatures. It's Jesus. Through the light, through the way the light and the life that is Jesus Christ. It's that simple. I'm going to close with a prayer. <sighs> Lord God, our Father, most holy and on high, thank you, Lord, for the example that you have given us. Thank you so much for the great gift of the resurrection. Thank you for this day, Easter, to remind us of the magnificent sacrifice, the, the, the beautiful promise that you gave us. Thank you, Lord, for everything you have done, us, the, done for us, the, the magnificent gifts you have given us. Thank you for your boundless mercy, and thank you for the joy that we share this day in celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, have mercy upon us. We are sinful. We are broken. We don't know what it is we're doing half the time. But Lord, understand, please, we love you. We want to be close to you of our own free will. We want to understand what it is you have in mind for us. Help us achieve those tasks, Lord. Help us resist evil in all of its forms. Help us to be closer to you. Help us to know you better through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has done so much for us. Lord God Almighty, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon our families. Help us to connect with each other and strengthen each other spiritually and mentally that we may resist these terrible evil forces. Ultimately, we know they have no power except that which you give them. And ultimately, we know these trials which you have set before us are to strengthen us, to give us the spiritual and physical strength to be the champions that you need us to be so that one day, ultimately, we will join you in the kingdom of heaven and we will sit with you and adore you in the beatific vision forever and ever. In the Lord Jesus' name, amen. Brothers, thank you so much for your time and for your attention in this podcast. I hope you found it useful. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to me shout at you for an hour. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you learned something from it. But uh, as always, my deepest gratitude to you, uh, my longtime readers, my longtime listeners. 
And as always, make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. And this has been Didactic Mind, episode 110, Gods and Demons. This is Didact, Strength and Honor Brothers, signing off.